All right, well, now we get to turn in the study of God's Word to the book of Romans, and we pick up in our next verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, where Paul writes, Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In this series, if you're new to our ministry, this series, we are just walking through these series of exhortations that Paul has given. He's given about 30 exhortations, either direct or indirectly here in this text, and he's exhorting us into uh, the practice of our Christian life. I was thinking about one of the blessings and privileges the Lord has given me in my Christian life, that he has surrounded me with many godly examples, godly examples of faithful servants and shepherds, Men who are excellent in their labors. In fact, they labored so hard, so diligently, so tirelessly, that their entire lives were pretty much mandated for them. And I was surprised as a young man to you know, head into uh, MacArthur's office and to know every moment of his day is scheduled out by his secretary. You know, tell him, here's where you need to be, and here's how long you can be here, and here's your next event. And think about your entire life up until vacation. You know, so when he goes and takes a vacation, it's the first time in his life where he actually gets to control his schedule, and then his wife takes over from there. So it's just... <laughs> this relentless sacrifice and service in the ministry, and you begin to see, and I saw that in you know, Phil Johnson. I remember telling Phil Johnson I was a brand new believer and I went to master's college and in my early days in master's college, uh, I became a, a leader on campus and I was serving in my dorm and I, I decided to throw a Bible study uh, for my dorm room, you know, for my campus wing and um, or dorm wing. And so I got all the guys together and I had Phil Johnson come in and teach that Bible study. And everyone was surprised. How is Phil Johnson coming in teaching this Bible study? I was clueless to his life until four years later when I went to work at Grace 2. And then I saw how busy he was. And I said to him, why in the world did you say yes to that Bible study? You were so busy. I noticed in my life is that these faithful servants, these diligent, these men of God who worked so diligently labored to the point of exhaustion. They labored with vigor, with energy, with haste. I remember particularly in 94 and following in the early years of my time at Grace Community Church that MacArthur was writing the uh, MacArthur Study Bible. You know, the Bible that many of you have in your hands and you compare every word I say against it to make sure that I got it right. That Bible he was uh, working through. And I remember as he was working through it, he was also um, you know, regularly preaching. He had his normal morning routine, two services in the morning and an evening service. So he had a normal pulpit sc- schedule. On top of that, he would be teaching in chapel at the college or the seminary from time to time. He would be involved in the regular leadership activities around Grace Church. Grace Church was always actively going, and yet this whole time, MacArthur was laboring over all those notes. As he would tell the congregation, I'm laboring over these notes because every word in there, people are going to go back and say, MacArthur said this. So I've got to make sure I actually believe all these things. Laboring excellently in it. So so much so that as these men, and again, many faithful men that I can point to their examples and their sacrifice, and many faithful laborers, I thought, man, these guys are going to die young. 
you know, because of the amount of energy that they're pouring out. I'm reminded of, a, of a, one famous man by the name of Robert Murray McChaney, who died at the age of 29. And in his journal, just before he died, this is what he wrote. He said, God gave me a message to deliver and a horse to ride. Alas, I have killed the horse, and now I cannot deliver the message. As he poured himself out in his service to the Lord, he poured himself out even to the point of death. And just think about these examples, these examples of striving. And I think that these men model exactly what Paul is drawing out here in Romans 12:11, not lagging behind and diligence. But I want to point you to Paul's example too. As all those examples are great, Paul's example excels them still more. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and just notice Paul's example. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul has to engage in what he calls a little foolishness. He has to respond in kind to the accusations that have been made against him. He's going to have to defend himself. And what had happened is Paul had ministered to the Corinthians and he had poured out his life and service to them and he had helped found this church and, and begin to minister in this church and he demonstrated, again, all the signs of apostle among this church. Along the way, as would be the habit, that the Jews would come in after Paul and seek to discredit him. And what happened in Corinth is some of these guys, some of these teachers came in with a group of credentials claiming to be from the apostles themselves and claiming to have greater authority than Paul himself because they had these, these credentials that they would provide that the church started to believe these men rather than Paul. Paul decides here, he says, okay, and then I've got to defend myself. I have to defend my ministry credibility and in doing this, he, he, from verses 16, well, all of chapter 11 is his defense of his ministry. And as he says, I, I'm doing this not because I want to, not because I, I think it's right. It's, I actually have to engage in a little bit of foolishness because you've listened to the foolishness of these false teachers who came in. So then listen to my foolishness a little bit. And notice what he says. We'll just start in verse 21. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Now, from verse 22 and following, he gives his credentials. Notice his credentials. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane, I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on fervent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. 
I've been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such eternal things or external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is a servant of God. Laboring diligently in the face of great hostility, even personal suffering. I mean, just thinking through the three times he was in a shipwreck. And as he says, a night and a day I have spent in the deep. Not only was I in a shipwreck, but I was floating there in the water for a whole day, night and day, waiting, waiting to be rescued, waiting to be delivered. Tired, sleepless nights, burdened, emotionally distressed overwhelmed by the pressures of concern for the churches, let alone the physical dangers all around me, the threats of carrying out this work and ministry. And all of this, Paul describes just the efforts, the continued perseverance and efforts. I mean, frankly, after one of those stonings, it would be enough, or after one of those times beating with rod, we might reconsider one's calling to ministry. Paul says again, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Maybe after the first time you went into a city, went into the synagogue, started preaching the message and were resisted and received uh, 39 lashes. Maybe the next time you're thinking, I'm not going the synagogue route anymore. Perseverance, pressing in, diligence. This is what Paul models in this text. He models an uncompromising life with commitment to the things of God. I love the phrase, far more labors, far more imprisonments. Suffering, suffering under great, intense sufferings. In light of that, we turn back to Romans chapter 12 then. When Paul makes this statement in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, Paul sets the pace of ministry diligence. Paul sets the pace of excellence in ministry. He sets the standard. If anyone would question what the level of commitment would look like, here is Paul modeling it for us of selfless service and sacrifice. I love this, what Paul demonstrates here. I love it because what he demonstrates for us is then the, this high expectation that he has called us to. Now in this text, Paul gives three more exhortations in verse 11. We'll just look at verse 11 this morning. We'll take these three exhortations together. We'll cover all three of them this morning because they relate in regards to what they're emphasizing. They're emphasizing an internal striving and excellence towards the service of the Lord. An internal striving for excellence towards the service of the Lord. And notice the three exhortations. It is serve with excellence, be spiritually fervent, serve the Lord. Three new exhortations. The first one we'll look at, strive with excellence. Literally, the text reads like this, with diligence, not in laziness. That's how the text literally reads here in verse 11. With diligence, not in laziness. 
Now that phrase by itself, you'd say, okay, well, what exactly is this phrase modifying? You may think, well, maybe it's modifying the phrase at the end of verse 10 when he says at the end of verse 10, give preference to one another in honor with diligence, not in laziness. It could go that way, but you'll notice every translation ends the punctuation right at the end of verse 10. Every You'll either see a period in your translation or you'll see a semicolon, but they're ending the thought in verse 10 and they're starting a new thought in verse 11. That's what's happening here. And I think it's right that we're starting a new thought here. Now the question is, what exactly is this new thought? Is he talking about us to be loving and pursuing diligence in love? Because that's the main idea starting back in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. This whole section is an outflowing, a working of love. We could possibly make that case. I think what Paul is describing here is the general disposition and quality of our Christian pursuit. We are to be striving with earnestness, with hastiness, with eagerness, not in laziness. Let me just build this idea a little bit as we look at the two key words here. Um, And again, the New American describes it not lagging behind with diligence, but literally says earnestness, earnestly. Let's look at that first word, earnest or, or diligently. It's the word spude. It means to operate in haste. It means to operate in a speedy manner. And it has like two aspects to it. First of all, the aspect is to rapidly get to work. It's the first aspect of this word. The second aspect of this word word is to diligently fulfill what you have started. To work with faithfulness to complete what you start. So to quickly get at it and to be at it until you have faithfully completed it. That's this word spude. We are to be diligent. Earnest. Let me just show you a few ways that places that this word is used. If you just go back a few verses to verse 8, we see it used in verse 8. When speaking about various gifts, he talks about exhortation, he talks about giving, but then it says, He who leads with spude, with diligence. It's our exact same word there in verse 8. So what Paul mentions there is the one who is to be a leader is to be engaged in leading with diligence, with excellence, with hastiness, meaning he is to be engaged in leadership and it's, he's self-driven to do it. It's not being pulled along to engage in this kind of leadership. This is what he is striving forward to do. So why would this be, uh, need to be pointed out? Well, because anyone in leadership understands the challenges in leadership, the challenges to go out and to have to speak up and to say something that is going to be resisted. I mean, I'm just thinking about Paul's context again. If he went out to various synagogues and he's already three, four times that he's gone to a synagogue, preached a message that's been rejected, he's been arrested and then uh, has been lashed 39 times for it. You know, you come to that fifth time, you might be thinking, maybe I'll let Timothy take this one. Maybe I'll let somebody else jump in and, and preach that message here. 
The temptation would be to kind of shrink back to let somebody else take the blows. That's not the idea that is described in verse 8. The one who leads is leading with haste, leading with diligence. He is leading with excellence. He's going out forth. He's not pulling back. You don't have to poke a leader to act. One who leads, leads with diligence. He is out front. In fact, I mean, that's what I rejoiced in, the many godly examples that I saw over the years of faithful shepherds as people running alongside of them thinking to themselves, I wish this guy would slow down a little bit. No, there is a a striving for excellence. This word spade is used in other places. It's used in Mark chapter 6 and verse 25, speaking of Herod's uh, stepdaughter who comes to him and asks for John the Baptist's head and says she came in haste to him to ask for the head of John the Baptist. Or in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39, when Mary heard the news that her cousin Elizabeth was with child also after many years of not having a child, she says there in Luke 139, Mary arose and went with haste. She strove, she quickly headed out to see Elizabeth and share her good news and to receive the good news that she had received, that Elizabeth had received. So this is the idea of earnest. One more verse. This is kind of a unique translation. Turn over to Jude. Notice Jude, verse 3. The word is used there. And this is actually one of those ways you would not necessarily know unless you saw the the Greek text behind it. Jude chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the, necess- I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, we might think that the phrase contend earnestly, and particularly the word earnestly there is our word, but actually it's not. The word that we're looking at is there in the beginning of the verse, effort. While I was making every effort, spude, while I was diligently seeking to write to you about our common salvation, While I was doing this in haste, while I was trying to get this message out to you quickly, I realized that I want to compel you to defend the faith. This is the idea of our word, diligence, with effort, with haste. Now let me show you one more example of this word, and it is in the context of repentance. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And we see this same word used two times in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verses 11 and 12. And in this particular context, Paul is describing the nature of our repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11 and 12. Notice what Paul says here. He says, For behold, what spude, what earnestness this very thing this godly sorrow has produced in you what vindication of yourselves what indignation what fear what longing what zeal what avenging of the wrong in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter so although i wrote to you it was not for the sake of the offender nor for the sake of the one offended 
but that your earnestness, your spude, on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. Notice, Paul says, look, here's what qualifies or describes your repentance. You are earnest. You are diligent. You are putting in the effort. You're moving in haste. Quickly, rapidly, getting about the business of doing what is right to turn. And then he goes on, describes in many quality ways the description of repentance. You hated the evil. You were indignant at it. You were indignant at yourself that you would be engaged in those things. You took that energy and put it into work towards the problem. You were avenging the wrong so that in everything you demonstrated yourself to be innocent. And you did it. As he says in verse 12, you did it that your earnestness, your diligence on our half, our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. You demonstrated with a diligent effort, a striving for godliness. I love this. This idea of earnestness, diligence, is the idea of actively striving with haste to do what's right. Reminds me of a time many years ago when I was in a counseling situation where a young man had come in for counseling, he and his wife, they had a few kids, and the guy had just been caught in adultery. He was repentant, or would say he was penitent. He was remorseful. He was certainly filled with shame, filled with guilt in his own heart, but he wasn't repentant. He was lacking what is described here in 2 Corinthians 7, the kind of eagerness of, of repentance to distance himself from the transgression. He was lacking the desire to distance himself from, from that sin. He was sad, penitent, but not repentant. This idea, eagerness is a description of the Christian life. It is a description of our repentance. It is an eager striving to quickly undo and to put off the old behavior. And the idea of our worship, it is the idea of quickly heading in and engaging in the worship of God. And the idea of service, in you know, kind of the Jude sense, it is quickly engaging in the work that's going to protect and build up others. Turn back to Romans chapter 12 and, and understand this, then if we can kind of put our arms around this word, this particular phrase here, this earnestness. I like to describe it like this when I think about earnestness. I know some of you have been to Disney. Some of you have even been the kind of crazy ones like my family is that we get up nice and early to get there before, you know, even God wakes up early in the morning. Before the sun's come up, we're right there at the front of the gates. We're waiting for the gates to open. You know, we're there for to, as the gates open, we get to be the ones that rush right in, you know, push people over so we can get to your spot, that you can be the first on whatever main ride that you want to get to. But it's that initial moment when the gates are open and everyone goes flooding in to that particular ride, that is the haste, that is the eagerness, that is the striving towards a particular outcome, that is the description of this word spude. There's an earnestness. Nothing is going to get in the way. 
I'm not going to let the early morning get in the way. I'm not going to let the gates get in the way. I'm not even going to let the, the um, mom pushing her kid in a stroller get in the way. We're going to push around that to get to our objective. That is spude. I also thought about this in regards to my growing up years. Um, my brother and I, we were, you know, you can pray for my mom, we were terrors. You know, we were, in our growing up years, we would, you know, enjoy it specifically when our parents left, left us alone. Or we would, you know, jump around the house, throw pillows, pillows at each other, jump off of couches on each other, all of those kinds of things. And when my parents left, the house was absolutely disheveled because of our activities. But we also were blessed because my dad decided in all of his wisdom to put a glass-packed muffler on his car. And on the family car, we could hear the family car coming from blocks away which gave us 30 seconds to a minute to get the whole house together before dad came in the house, which is great because that's when we practiced spude, haste. We put the house back together rapidly so that we would not be caught. This is, again, the idea. We labor, whatever the object of our labor is, if we labor in our repentance, we labor in our ministry service, we labor in our love, we labor in our Christian pursuits and sanctification, we labor with haste, with diligence, striving, not in laziness. This word lazy, akneros, this word describes hesitancy, shrinking back. It describes somebody who, again, could be lazy or just shrinking back. It's somebody who is slothful or slow. Somebody who is pulling back and not engaging in the activities. It's like a lazy man, again, who's hesitant to put in the effort. Hesitant to get to the work that he ought to be doing. Like a, a boulder or a log that has to be pushed uphill. It's just laborsome to push them into doing what's right. They won't be moved. They're like stubborn mules. They cannot be coaxed. They cannot be encouraged to go do what's right. They are resistant, hesitant to do what's right. It's not repentance. It's not striving. You have to be pushed into doing what's right. You have to be coaxed into doing it. You're not moving with Haste with diligence. I oftentimes think of this with my kids as they were younger. You tell them to go clean your room. And you're just like dragging their feet. It takes them longer to get to their room than it takes to run six miles. I mean, it's just forever to get to their room to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm obeying on the outside, but really slowly. Slow, he- slow, hesitance, moving. It's not... So Paul contrasts these ideas, one, with a persistent striving in diligence that labors faithfully, that completes the task in faithfulness versus the hesitant, slow-moving uh, person who will not engage in doing what's right. He says, no, our contrast is we are diligent. We are laboring earnestly. We're not hesitant pulling back, shrinking away. As again described in laziness, laziness slash hesitancy is described in the person unwilling to give, in, give uh, effort to the task. 
to give into the labor. Again, like that guy I was counseling, he had blame for everyone else. Every problem was everyone else's problem. Well, if my wife had made different choices, if this mistress hadn't called me, if I wasn't in this situation, if the church was around to help me, everyone else's problem for why he engaged in evil. Even blaming God for not taking the temptation away. This is the hesitant hearts. I think reality is this. The only thing a lazy man does in haste is blame others. You see that. Everyone else's problem. He will quickly find what everyone else has done wrong, quickly accuse others of evil motives, quickly accuse others for doing things that are inappropriate while his own heart is engaged in doing evil. And simply, if he measured his own heart and looked at his heart and said, are you striving with diligence? Are you striving with earnestness? Are you striving with eagerness to do what's right? He doesn't view that. doesn't see it. So Paul, in this initial starting point, describes, I believe, all the pursuits of the Christian life. And again, the context might be repentance. The context might be just the striving of sanctification. The context might be the worship of God. Whatever the context is, what should be qualifying our efforts is a striving with diligent, earnest effort, not in resistance or hesitancy. Secondly, he brings out the second exhortation, verse 11, fervent in spirit. Or to put it in our exhortation, be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. That word, or this could be translated like this, hot in spirit, or be zealous. Be filled with a kind of internal longing and zealous for spiritual things. One time, only one other time is this phrase used, and it's used in reference to Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. In verse 25, it says of Apollos that he was instructed in the way of the Lord, and he was fervent in spirit. He had an internal spiritual longing for the things of God. I love this description. It's not just like I appreciate what is good, but I have this internal longing for the things of God. I love this because it often describes a brand new believer. I mean, have you ever seen the time when you've shared the gospel with somebody who has just lived a rough life, a, a terrible life, that they've come and believed the gospel and they've experienced for the first time that freedom that comes that their sin has been taken away and they've seen the riches of God's glory and they're rejoicing in the grace of God. And what typically describes that person? They can't get enough truth. Like, I have to listen to more messages. I, I have to be around God's people more. I, I need more their eyes have been opened. They have a new lease on life. They have a new excitement for the, for the things of God. They're delighted in those things. And they operate in such a way where they just cannot help but talk about the things of God. And what typically happens when we see a person like that, someone who's been in the Lord for a long time, we start to feel a little guilty because they're striving a little bit more. We tell them, temper, slow down, be patient. And we, we tend to, at times, get a little uh, leery. I remember being in college with one particular roommate like this who was so just passionate about the things of the Lord that everything was uh, directed to the Lord. 
where he would say the phrase, oh, what a blessing. Everything was a blessing. Walking up the hill and sweating, that was a blessing. You know, was, everything for him was a blessing in life. And I also chuckled as many of the other college students would, would actually get a little irritated by his zeal for what is right. And I kept reminding them here, this should be our hearts. We have a fervent, hot zeal from within for the things of God. Notice again in verse 12, or verse 11 there, fervent in spirit, the absence of the definite articles, ah, so it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It will be in reference to the, you know, the Spirit of God. So it's not like turning and entrusting yourself to the Spirit of God. That would be, you know, a different passage. This here is talking about a man's inner being. His own internal spirit, his own internal being is hot for the things of the Lord. Let me show you an example, a rebuke that God gave. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3. And we see the, the rebuke that God gave the church in Laodicea. And in contrast to this. So, well, do I really have to strive? Is it really important to be laboring for what's right? Is it really important to be engaged in this? So I say, absolutely. Because it's illustrated for us here in the church of Laodicea. Here's what Luke, or Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 16 says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, right? The amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What are you? You have just gone room temperature. You're neither hot so as to distinguish yourself to be on fire for me. You're neither cold so as to be rejected and cast out. You are just lukewarm. Lukewarm in your love. Lukewarm in your pursuits. You're lukewarm in your service. And you know the temptation. Why? To be right in the middle would be able to protect yourself from any kind of danger not being overly zealous to face criticism, not being overly worldly to be engaged with the world. You're just staying right there in the middle, lukewarm. And notice the, notice the uh, call to change in verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And notice, therefore, be zealous and repent. Be engaged. Repent. Be hot. Be zealous. Engage in the kingdom work. Engage in this labor. I think this is, again, what the Lord looks for. He looks for an internal passion for the things of God, an internal hungering, an internal light, uh, striving. We can describe it like this if we wish. It's an internal striving for the things of God. It comes from inner man. It's not an external service, an external practice. It's an an internal striving from within for the things of God. That's why I love what the psalmists emphasize. As we read in our scripture reading this morning in Psalm 27, verse 4, when the psalmist says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. 
Like, I long for this. I long to be in God's presence. I'm satisfied with nothing else. Listen to these words of Psalm 84 and verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. An internal longing on the psalmist's part to say, I would give up a thousand days anywhere else to be one day with you in your presence. One day beholding your glory, one day worshiping you. I think this best describes this fervent in spirit. There is an internal longing burning for the things of God. And you can turn back to Romans 12 and verse 11. And we're saying, if it's of the Spirit, if, if that was the reference and you were going to say, well, maybe we're taking this to be fervent in the Holy Spirit, then this would mean that we are to be longing for the things that are consistent with the Spirit of God, i.e. Galatians chapter 5. We long for holiness, righteousness, love, peace, etc. But again, I think this is an emphasis of one's internal craving from within. I long fervently for spiritual things, the things of God. So the first exhortation, to be striving with eagerness. The second exhortation, be longing from within for spiritual things or the things of God. From your internal spirit, your inner man, long for the things of God. And then lastly, he says at the end of verse 11, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. The word serving there is the verbal form of the noun doulos, which means servant. This is the activity. So be engaged in the service of the Lord. It's the idea. In all things, we serve the Lord. All things we do, we do as unto the Lord. All labors as we do unto Christ. We go to work, we work as unto Christ. We come and serve in the church, we serve as unto Christ. We engage in our labors as unto Christ in all things. And I think this best complements these three exhortations here in verse 11. There is a diligent, hasty service that follows through until the end, that is driven by an internal longing and desire to serve Christ, to be fully engaged in building and caring for the glory of Christ. Notice how Paul, if you look over at chapter 14, said, well, what does serving the Lord look like? What does it mean? Well, he explains it in chapter 14 of Romans. Chapter 14 And, um, you know, from verse 13 and following, Paul is talking here in a series of, of exhortations to the Romans to talk about how they use their liberties. And if you pick up in verse 16, he's going to drive home a point to us. And he starts in verse 16. He says this, Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what he says there is how you use your liberties, you don't use your liberties in such a way that would be engaged in promoting evil. However you use your liberties are to be engaged in such a way that promotes godliness. 
It promotes righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, the point is verse 18. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and proved by men. How do we serve Christ? By engaging even in the use of your personal liberties in such a way that it promotes godliness, not ungodliness. That promotes righteousness, not unrighteousness. Engage in wholehearted labor and service that Christ is the object of all of our service. He's the one we labor for. His his approval is the one that matters most. He is the the reason why we strive with the level of excellence. We seek to strive because it's Him, His glory, His honor to be received. We even give up of ourselves and our own personal desires and wants for the service of Christ so that we can protect others. That's the idea here. Romans 12, 11, serving the Lord all of life is seen through this lens of service. We can be like one pastor says, seeing our lives as simply day laborers seeking to care for the needs uh, in the field, having no honor to ourselves to give Christ all the honor. Or we could be like Whitfield, who said of the Lord's work, he is tired in the Lord's work, but never tired of the Lord's work. Yes, we labor, we labor in it, we give ourselves tiredly in, in labor, but we never tire of it. Or, as John Wesley said, go not where you are wanted, but where you wanted most. Seeking in that, he is talking about giving yourself wholeheartedly to the service. It's all of this. I love in verse 11, these three exhortations. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. I love to be able to say what David Brennard said just before he died. Another young man who died early, he uh, was actually going to marry Jonathan Edwards' daughter. And he was ministering to a tribe and he had passed away. But before he passed away, he wrote down these words. He said, I declare, now that I am dying, I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. Labor in such a way that you can look back in your life and say, I wouldn't do anything different. Poured myself out giving myself in haste and diligence to the work of the service, burning within for heavenly things, serving the Lord always, fervently called to this. Can you think of a better way to serve and a better way to spend your life of having that inward burning and desire to do good, laboring always for Christ, doing it with haste, doing it with diligence? And can you imagine a better group of people to serve alongside of than the people of God all walking together in this kind of diligent effort? A group of people craving the things of God from their innermost being. A group of people striving and helping one another, pressing on to godliness. A group of people that sees that all their labors are engaged in this end. I serve the Lord. You know why it's often hard in ministry to be persevering and to why we lose heart you know, in our striving 
Because somewhere along the way, the object is no longer Christ. It becomes ourselves. It becomes our wants, our desires, something else other than Christ becomes the object for why we serve. But when Christ is always the object for our serving, it's always then filled with eagerness, filled with joy, filled with with an internal longing because we know he sees all of our efforts and laboring and we know that he will be the one who rewards. We don't lose heart because we're doing the Lord's work. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, what just great exhortations and what, what a better teacher than the Apostle Paul who modeled these things for us and his own personal example of wholehearted commitment to service of Christ. We just pray, just even in our meager efforts and our small ways, that we are pouring ourselves out in that same example. As unworthy servants, we give our lives to you. You move and direct according to your good purpose and design. And indeed, you have been so kind to us, so merciful. You have not put the same demands upon us that you have put upon Paul. For even when Paul was redeemed and you demonstrated your plan for him, you even warned that he must suffer many things. But for us, you have called us out and you have been patient and, and slow in your dealings with us and you have been generous in your kindness towards us and you have been merciful in giving us so many riches that we could rest upon that we are Indeed, unworthy servants, unworthy of your kindness and mercies and grace. So we pray, Father, that we wouldn't take that kindness and mercy and grace and use it as a means to to grow lazy and to be resistant in doing what's right. Instead, we pray, may it stoke the fires within. May it provoke within us an internal longing for, for heavenly things. And may we strive at such an, a rate that even those around us may ask us to slow up. But may our heart's response be, how can we slow ourselves when heaven awaits, when the glories to come are set before us? How could we run at a slower pace when we are running toward the glories of eternal life? So use our lives. Feed our our passions, our souls with the truth of your word. Cultivate within us these the striving so that you would receive all glory and all honor. It's in your blessed name we pray. Amen.